If you've got a Bible, grab it, and we're going to be in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, as we continue on in our study of the gospel according to John. He's one of the four gospel writers, which is basically biographers of Jesus' life. John walked with Jesus, witnessed his death, witnessed his resurrection, helped to start the the church and the Jesus movement, and then near the end of his life, he wrote down, he said, I want to make sure you know exactly what I believe about Jesus so that you can follow him accordingly. And so we've come into this space uh, now, five chapters in, where Jesus has made his second trip to Jerusalem. And I'll give you a quick recap because what we'll be studying today is actually the monologue that follows the incident that we looked at last week. And so um, we're titling this sermon, Like Father, Like Son, if you're taking notes Um, But let me just give you a quick recap of last week, otherwise you won't understand why Jesus is saying what he's saying this week. So, last week we saw that as Jesus comes into the city, he seeks out this pool, and this pool in the city was known for having people with all sorts of ailment who would come and gather around it, because there was folklore around this pool that it would swirl up every so often, and that, in fact, was an angel swirling up the waters, and the first person to get in the water would be healed. So there was some superstition, some mythology, some folklore uh, around this pool, and so many of the sick and infirmed would come and gather here. And there was one such man that had been uh, lame, unable to walk for 38 years. Now Jesus purposefully seeks this man out, and he heals this man, but none of the other multitude of the sick. And we talked about last week, there were some specific reasons why he picked this particular man. He chose him for a reason, for a purpose. And we chose, even as the pool was stirred up, Jesus himself is always stirring up controversy, picking fights. And he's picking a fight because he wants to call out the religious leaders of the day who had fallen into legalism. So we talked about legalism. We had a handout last week. If you didn't get one of those, we'll get you one. Great handout describing what legalism is because it plagues the church today and society today as well as it did back then. And Jesus purposefully heals this man on the Sabbath in order to make a point. And that point will become clear and clear as we go through the talk today. He wants to show that He is above rule following. There's something about him that is transcendent over and above even the Sabbath. And so he'll say and said last week, I am working because I see the Father working and therefore you should be happy. Do you want healing or do you want the Sabbath? We said that last week. Now, before we jump into the monologue, I just... I. I didn't draw this out last week, but I just thought, I read it this week, I thought it was so profound, I wanted to share it with you. Um, This is just one water claim in a series of water claims that's happened in John's gospel. Did anybody pick that up? We've had all these water claims where Jesus, here in chapter 5, is saying, you see this pool of water that you think is magical, that can heal you? What is Jesus saying? I can heal much better. Than that water. You see what he's doing? These ancient sacred pools of healing, I am greater than that water. 
Then we think back. How did Jesus start his ministry? He goes to John the baptizer who was giving a water baptism of repentance. And the whole scene is about how John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but there's one coming who will baptize you with water and the Spirit. So he's saying, yes, this baptismal ritual that that people have practiced in Israel for centuries, it is something, it it is claiming something that I'm turning away from my sin, but actually there's one who is coming, and Jesus says, I'm now here, and I will actually remove that sin. I will cleanse you in a way that you won't need cleansing over and over and over again. That's Jesus' baptism is over and above greater than. That's a claim to be a different kind of water. And then we have, of course, Jesus' first miracle at Cana. And Ryan preached on this. Jesus puts the water in the purification jars and he turns that water into wine. So we have another water claim where Jesus is saying, I am a greater and a final purification. That water, that water can only temporarily save you, but my salvation is a salvation and a purification that lasts for eternity. And then, of course, we had the woman at the well, right? Another water claim where Jesus comes to the woman at the well and says, can you draw me some water? And then Jesus says, I could give you a kind of water that you'll never thirst again. And of course, he's talking about the spiritual water of his presence and salvation in her life. And so we have all these water scenes and claims that what could only happen temporarily with these certain expressions of water and cleansing and healing can happen eternally and fully and, and holistically in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And so all of these things are not lost upon Jesus' opponents, these religious leaders, these authorities, these elites. And in that day and age, you know, church and state weren't separated, and so the religious authorities were the political authorities. They had the power. They were the ones that got to judge. They got to make the rules. They got to execute um, justice but a justice in their own image. And so Jesus will come on the, on the scene here in this monologue, and he will say, there's a new judge in town. And it's pretty in your face. And it's pretty, what are you going to do about it? And so as we read this, I'll read it in a second. Um, I just, I want to, I want to say that this whole scene plays out in, I think, three stages. Last week we looked at the stage, which was, um, this was sort of the crime. And we have sort of the police figures collecting evidence against Jesus and then accusing him of a crime. And the crime was that he has broken the Sabbath, which was the most sacred of all the laws, and therefore he's a criminal. He's healed on the Sabbath. And we, you can go back and listen to it last week if that sounds strange to you, of why would someone not be able to heal on the Sabbath? So they've accused him, they've, in a sense you could say, arrested him, and now they're taking him to court. And so what we'll read today, I like to see as the opening statements of the trial. So this is Jesus sort of making his claim as to what his defense will be. The prosecutors have made their claim that he is a criminal, he's broken the law, 
And Jesus is now going to come in and make his opening statement. Now, what's interesting is, what, is he, what does he plead? Guilty or not guilty? He actually pleads, I'm guilty. He doesn't deny it. He says, I have healed on the Sabbath, but his defense is clever. He says, though I healed on the Sabbath and broke that law of yours, he says, I've committed no crime against God. Because in fact, I have been authorized by my God and my Father, and he is a much higher authority than this court. He told me to do these things. That's Jesus' defense. So he's going to give us our opening statement, and then the Jews are going to basically say, prove it, which is going to bring us into stage three of this drama, which is next week as we talk about the witnesses that Jesus will call in his defense. So today's the opening statement, and then Jesus next week will call his witnesses. So make sure you come back next week, because today we're going to look just at his plea, which is guilty but not guilty, because he has an authority higher than the authority of the Sabbath law. Okay? So that's what's going on. So let me read it for you and try to, in your mind, pick out a few things that are interesting to you. See if you can get the flow. I'm going to start back in verse 17 just to give us the flow into the context, okay? Actually, let's go 16. It says, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. That is healing. Verse 17, so Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And, and that's actually another in the Greek, for... For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom He wants. The Father, in fact, and that in fact in the Greek is another for, so for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay, so let's pause here. The section that I just read is the first uh, truly, truly of what will be three truly, truly. So I'm going to go through each truly, truly. Now, in the, the text we have here, there's only one truly because the translators, for whatever reason, thought it's just a little bit too old school to say truly, truly. 
But Jesus, like a great Victorian lawyer, says, truly, truly, to make his first point. And he'll do it again. Truly, truly. So in this, when you see truly, just know there's two trulys. And the Greek word is amen. So verily, verily. (laughs) So Jesus is very much laying out uh, his opening remarks. Verily, verily is the way you could translate it. Truly, truly. And he's pointing to some declarative statements about who he is. And the first here, the first is that he is saying, no, 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 I am, in fact, equal to my Father, who you guys acknowledge is the highest authority. So when Jesus says, my Father, that was a way that the Jews did in that time talk about God, Yahweh, the Father. So they would have seen what Jesus was doing when Jesus said, my Father, but no one would have called God the Father, my Father. They would have said, the Father, God. But Jesus said, no, it's my Father. So he's claiming to have a special, unique relationship with him. Now, what Jesus is is particularly taking offense to is that they're claiming, if you look back here, go back to to verse 18, when, when it says that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus all the more because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Now, Jesus is taking an offense to that. He's saying, I'm not making myself anything. I am. So when Jesus says, in verse 20, when Jesus says, for whatever the Father does, or sorry, verse 19, whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. I don't make myself anything. I am who I am. I am the Son, and I do what the Father shows me to do. And and this this is the great debate. Is Jesus just making himself something that he is not, or is he revealing that which he already is? And this is Jesus' argument. I'm not making myself anything. I am the Son. And I do what the Father says. And then he goes into these three fours. Verse 24, verse 21, 4, and verse 27, 4. So he's going to give three um, examples of how he and the Father are one. Okay? So he's going to say, like Father, like Son. Four. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He is doing, and He will show Him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So the Father reveals to the Son the will and says, do these things, and Jesus will do these things. So there's still order in. Jesus is not saying he has a, His authority is greater than the Father's. He's saying my authority is just as the Father's. So he's not claiming to usurp God the Father's power, but he's saying his, his authority is one with the Father. So the Father reveals, I see things now, because the Father reveals them 
to me. And why? Because the Father loves me in this special way. Verse 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom He wants. Just as. Like Father, like Son. So the Father gives the Son the power to raise to life and to bring life as He chooses. Just like God. And then verse 22. For, for, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay. So just as the Father is the judge, so too the Son has been given all authority to judge. So we have three statements here that Jesus is saying, none of you would question if God himself said, you're misinterpreting the Sabbath, and if God wants to heal on the Sabbath, he can heal on the Sabbath. None of you would question that, but I'm just like the Father, so why do you question me? I have been given the authority. The Father in his love has granted me authority. I can see things that the Father sees. I can raise things just as the Father raised. I can heal just as the Father heals. And I, can, I will judge just as the Father judges. Incredible claims to authority. Now, it is important here, we don't want to misunderstand. Jesus, while claiming this maximal authority, is also modeling for us what the obedience of a son should look like. You see, he never steals glory from the Father. He just receives the glory that the Father wants to give. And this would have been very important in an honor and a shame culture. So we don't have an example of a son sort of stepping over and above the Father, but just stepping in and linking arms with the Father to work out the Father. And this is how the Trinity works. Hand in hand. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Jesus has been authorized to do these things by the Father, and therefore the glory of the Son is the glory of the Father, and the honor of the Son is the honor of the Father. And See how it works? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus has been authorized by God, he's been authorized so that he will have honor just as God has had honor. That's what the last part of verse 23 says. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He's looking right at him when he says it. This is my opening remarks. If you dishonor me, you dishonor the Father. Then be fighting words. It's hard for us to see just how impactful these words would have been, which is, of course, why they wanted to kill Jesus. So, um, Quick note. So we said the reason the Father gives to the Son is to bring the Son honor. So that the honor of the Son becomes equal to the honor of the Father. Now, this is important, particularly, I think, in our day and age. Because you will, and I've heard this even in Christian sermons and churches very recently. Uh, I heard a sermon recently, and 
God was honored, but the name Jesus Christ was never mentioned in the sermon. Everything this preacher said about God was true, but yet no honor was given to the Son, Jesus Christ. Is there a problem with that? Or is it okay to just generalize God and not get specific about Jesus? I mean, if you haven't run into this dilemma yet, you will, both inside the church and outside the church. I think Jesus makes it very clear here that if you get Jesus wrong, you get God wrong. Jesus is making the sentence I'm about to say nonsensical. What sentence is that? I'm a God person, just not a Jesus person. Jesus is saying, the Father has given me all this authority to do these things and to speak these things, to raise the dead, to judge, to heal, because he wants my name to be honored in the way his name is. So you can't say, if you read this passage, I'm a God person, but not a Jesus person. Because that's what the Jewish elites wanted to do. No, no, we, we obey God, and we would never disagree with God. And if God said this, we'd do it. And Jesus said, but I'm saying it, and it's the same. Now this doesn't mean that if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, that you can't engage with God and ask God to reveal to you if Jesus is who he said he was. But that's how you have to frame the question. Don't say, God help me figure out what is. Say, God help me figure out if Jesus is who he said he was. It's really important. So here's the first big idea. Like Father... Like son, if you love the father, you must love the son. If you obey the father, you must obey the son. If you want to honor the father, you must honor the son. That's what Jesus is claiming. Pretty big claims in the first truly, truly. Second, truly, truly. Look at verse 24. Read it with me. Here we go. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I tell you, anyone who hears my word, circle my, if you've got your, your journal there, my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Okay. So just like the Father, I give life as I see fit. Now, there's something very important that I want us to notice uh, about this second truly, truly. Um, and it's this. With Jesus and with God, the offer of life always comes before, before the warning of judgment. Always. I've come that you might have life. <laughs> so, so Jesus has already said this before. Do you remember where he said this? Turn back 
to chapter 3, verse 17. This is right after, this is, John has written this in uh, commentary on Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, also a Pharisee. It's right after the very famous John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. And that word condemn is the Greek word we're going to study in just a second, in the third verily, verily, but it's judge, to judge the world. The Greek word crisis. But to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not judged or condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, judged, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Okay. But it's the same pattern. Life is always offered first, judgment second. And we'll come back and talk about that even more in a second. Or in the third, truly, truly. But Jesus is coming and saying, not only do I have the authority of God, but I'm the one who gives and brings eternal life. Seven times in Jesus' monologue, he uses the word for life. Zoe. Life. In different forms, in different ways. Seven times, life. And what you're going to see is he also uses the word crisis, judgment or condemnation seven times. But the offer of life comes first. But in verse 317 and in 5.24, there is another thing I want you to notice. The offer of life comes because what is the default state? Did you notice that? What is the default state? So, Look at verse 24. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me, that's the Father, has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. It doesn't say, but will keep his life. In the same way, flip back again to verse 3.17 Whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So there's something very important about Jesus' understanding of the world. Jesus has not come to encourage us to not go astray for it might lead to death. He's come because the whole thing is dead. It's already dead. And he's come to bring it back to life. It's really important. Now, there are signs of life, of course. But it's just the final breaths. And Jesus wants to bring us back to life. Really important to see that our default state is condemnation and death apart from the coming of Jesus. Now, what resuscitates us to eternal life? Truly, truly, 
I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who hears my word and believes him, that's the Father who sent me, has eternal life. We, we don't see it, but for Jesus to say believes my word is another one of those shots across the bow. He's equating his words with God's words. He's making it very clear who he's claiming to be. If anyone hears my words and believes my Father who sent me, you will have eternal life. The one who believes in Jesus' word, Jesus' words, is in fact also believing in the Father's words. Because when Jesus and the Father, and as we'll see in the book of Acts, and the Spirit, when the Spirit comes and falls upon all people, we're in the age of the Spirit, when all three persons of the Trinity speak, they speak with one accord. I call it, they're speaking in three-part harmony. You know what a three-part harmony is? Like a three-part harmony is the most beautiful sound. In part because if it's done perfectly, you can't even tell who's singing what part. You might be able to guess because there's probably one bigger guy with a deeper voice and smaller guy. <laughs> okay. but, but you can't because it actually rings through as one, one word. That's been John's claim since chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was made that wasn't made except through the Word, right? So there is this oneness of God, this one voice, but that comes through in a three-part harmony. Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus here is claiming to be a part of that harmony. So what we have is this beautiful, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all speak, or I like to say sing life into the world. That's what they do. That's why they come. And the question is not, do they do this? The question is, are we listening? Do we hear the song? Will we keep listening? Or will we turn off the radio? Will we clear our mind? Will we say, I need silence instead? You don't want silence. Silence only gets you away from toxic noise, but not to the sound of life. So yeah, you might need some silence in your life, but hopefully you find that silence so that you can hear the sound of life again. Because Jesus says, when you hear my word, and, and my word is the Father's word, it's the Spirit's word, singing this three-part harmony, when you hear me and believe in me, you will have life and life eternal. Are you listening? You may need to turn some things off so that you can hear the song again. You may need to simplify so that your ears aren't tired, so you can hear the words of Jesus, which are the words of the Father, which is the song of the Spirit. It's beautiful. Third, truly, truly. 
Let's read verse 25 to 30. Truly, truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will again hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and He has granted Him the right to pass judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. The word here is judgment. The resurrection of judgment. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. Again, there's this humility, this subordination to the Father. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so just as seven times Jesus uses the word zoe, life, seven times he used the word crisis for judgment, condemnation. Now, this is to say the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ, are in charge perfectly of both. Perfectly life-giving and perfectly judging. But I said I'd come back to this. Notice how even in this third truly, truly, like he says truly, truly again because he's changed category. And the third category is the category of judgment, that he is also the rightful judge. But yet, look what he does in the first two verses, verse 25 and 26. He leans heavy back into this idea of life. Well, we already talked about life in verse 24. Why are you coming back to it in your third truly, truly? Because I want you to know, I don't want you to mix this up. I'm the God of life. I'm the Savior of life. I want to deliver you to life. Jesus does not relish judgment. Judgment is necessary because God is just. Judgment is not a thing in itself, but it's the missing out on life. That's why it's a crisis. If you are missing out on life, you're in crisis. You're already under death, under condemnation. You're in crisis, whether you know it or not. And Jesus is coming that you might hear his voice telling you, you're in crisis. Wake up. Oh, sleeper, hear the sound of God, the song of life. You're in crisis. You're under condemnation. Death is at your door. So he doesn't relish judgment. Judgment is just the inevitable missing out on life if you fail to grab hold of the offer. And Jesus wants to make that so clear, even in his third truly, truly, yes, I am actually the judge, and how funny it is that you try to judge me. But even in me claiming this over you, I want you to know I'm here for life. Don't forget that I came for life. 
feel I, there's something really important when you watch the way Jesus presents his own message that could help us present his message to others. Don't miss it here. The world is going to want you to get roped into discussing judgment first. You experience this? I don't know about that Christianity. I don't know about that Jesus. He's always talking about judgment. Always about hell with you people. No, it's not. It's about life. He came that you would have life. You're already dead. You're already in judgment. Look at yourself. Look at your world. How is it going? He came to bring life, to resurrect it. No, no, no. Don't get roped into it. Follow his example. Life, 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 life. And by the way, if you miss out, there is a resurrection to judgment. Unless you have thoroughly, like Jesus, declared life, described what that life is, and detailed that life, that it is both now and forevermore, until you have thoroughly vetted life in your conversation with people, don't even answer their question about judgment. Make sure they know what life we're talking about. This is a present life that you can have now. This is a future life that you will have even beyond death. And this is a true life. This is the life you long for. Until you have described it, until you have detailed it, don't step in to the question about judgment. Jesus didn't do it. You see, he's like this skilled politician or someone who has great experience in being interviewed. Have you seen these people? Have you watched these sorts of interviews? You know, the interviewer will ask them a question. And they're clearly trying to get a hot take. Something that they can post at the front of the news article. And Jesus just won't take the bait. They want to talk about death. They want to talk about judgment. They want to talk about hell. And Jesus wants to use it as an opportunity to talk about life and resurrection and God's presence and eternity. So imagine the interviewer going, the interview going this way. So I've heard about your message, Jesus. Heard you've come to judge. I've heard it said that you speak of this hell. Jesus responds, Well, Bob, great to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you ask a great question. Now let me tell you about my father. My father is the bringer of all life. My father planned before the creation of the world to create a way that even if death stuck into his plan, even if people rebelled against him, that he'd find a way to bring life. And Bob, I'm the plan. And the Father sent me out of great love, great, sincere, deep, unimaginable love, not conditioned upon anything that anyone would do, but conditioned upon his very own love. And he sent me. And I came willingly. And I lived the life that everyone else fails to live. And I gave my life as a sacrifice for all of you. 
And then God brought me back to life to prove that it was finished, to prove that the sacrifice worked, to prove that justice was met. And now I offer that life to you and to anyone watching or hearing or reading this newspaper that they too might have life and life to the full in my name. And it's free, and you don't have to do anything to get it. It's just life, true life. And yes, it's true, Bob, that there is the option to not choose life, but to stay in death. And that's the judgment, the just judgment of God. And some people will forever remain separated from life. And so, yes, that is a part of the message, too. That's how he'd answer. That's how we should answer. When someone asks you to talk about, well, what about the judgment piece? So like, well, tell me what you know about the life piece first. I just want to make sure you know about the life piece and you're not hyper-focused on the judgment piece. Doesn't mean that we avoid talking about it. But a lot of people just want to talk about that because they don't want to wrestle with the life that he's offering. Don't fall into that trap. Jesus didn't. He made very clear he's coming to bring life. So having said that, God, nevertheless, Father, Son, and Spirit are perfectly poised and promising to be the authors of both life and justice or judgment. So this statement would have floored the elites who themselves were the judges of the day. They were the law and order of the day. They had the power of the day. And so for Jesus to claim here to be their judge would have scared you know what out of them. And he anticipates this. He knows that this is going to amaze them. Read verse 28. Do not be amazed. (laughs) He knows they're going to be like, what? Don't be amazed, because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. So he anticipates that they will be amazed at his claiming to be the judge. But Jesus just reminds them of what they already know. You already knew there was a judge coming. In the Old Testament it predicted, and the title used by Daniel was the Son of Man. He says, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. I am the Son of Man. You knew he was coming to judge, and judgment will come. And he explains this great scene at the end of all time. And it's not the main point of what Jesus is doing here. Most of the people would have already believed this. The Jewish elites that he was talking to, that there would be this resurrection at the end of time where all people would be raised. There's some debate and some different schools of thought whether people thought everyone would be raised or just those who were raised in faith. Um, But Jesus says all will be raised. And that is the constant 
declaration of Scripture and of Jesus that all will experience a resurrection. So whether you die in faith in Jesus or you die out of faith in Jesus, you will be raised and you will stand in front of Jesus at the last day. And you will be judged. Now, one of the things that might be confusing for you here, but it's clear throughout the rest of Scripture, Jesus is not saying that what you'll be judged on is based on if you did good deeds or wicked deeds. The constant, clear depiction of this scene throughout all of Scripture is that, yes, all will be raised to new life, and they will stand before their judge, and there will be one of two things. You'll have your list of good deeds and wicked deeds, and we all have good deeds and wicked deeds. And there will be a group of people who their plea is not, no, 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 I was pretty good. Look at, compared to my wickedness, look at my goodness. No, there is a group of people who will come admit, yes, I am a sinner, but I fall upon the name of Jesus. And then there will be those who say, do an accounting. Add up my good and my wicked. But don't fall upon the name of Jesus. That's the picture we have. And Jesus says, that day is coming. And could you imagine if there were a judge who had himself come and died and paid the penalty, the price for your sin, and you stand before him and you plead his name. Jesus, I plead your name. If it's true, that's a beautiful, glorious day for you. If it's not true, it's a sad, depressing day. Jesus is saying, that day is coming, I will be there, and all who call on my name will be saved. So I just want to make that clear uh, if you hadn't heard that before. All will be raised. It's a day to think about, consider, and tremble at. But for those of us who are already calling on the name of Jesus, it is a day that we will celebrate. Because I believe he is who he said he was. He has already paid our sentence. Praise be to God. So, in conclusion, today's text has been all about Jesus' claim to authority over and above the authority of those who are accusing him. He is, in, in essence, saying, You do not own the Sabbath, I do. Me and my Father, this is our thing. This is our world. You're just living in it. And he'll say, I'm equal to the Father. I am God. He's saying, I am the giver of life along with my Father. I am the final judge right there with my Father. I am and will determine the eternal destiny of humanity. I will raise the dead to life. And I am going to do all of this 
in accordance with the will of the Father God, my Father. These are quite the claims, aren't they? Just imagine the most influential, powerful, morally upstanding person in all of history that you you could think of. Imagine them saying these six things. This is his opening statement in his own trial. And it's his opening statement in every trial that each of us has where Jesus is on the defense. (laughs) Now, claims like this could only be made by either someone who actually is what these claims are or someone who is insane or delusional. Or someone who is evil incarnate, desperately wicked, a liar of liars. And Jesus is presenting his case. And he's saying, you decide. Which of these am I? This is who I claim to be. Who do you say that I am? And next week, Jesus will call his witnesses. And that will be oh so fun to unpack. So let's pray.